Would you stand with me and join in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin? Let us worship God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ. Let us worship God as Christ's ambassadors. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your presence here with us this morning. We ask that you would fill our hearts, Father. May we hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. good to see you. You inspire me hearing you sing as we uh, worship together. Let me encourage you to take a moment and uh, share a word of greeting, welcome with others who are here today in worship.
And our first scripture reading this morning is found in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy 9, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, Who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember this, and never forget how you provoked the Lord your God to anger in the desert. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, I'd like to invite you to stand as the ushers come forward, and we'll sing the doxology. Father, we are grateful for your many, many blessings to us. We ask now that you would take these gifts and use them to further your work in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Worship is inherently participatory. We sing together, we read scripture together, we give together, and we pray together. This morning, following the prayer of confession, I'm going to invite you as the people of God to offer prayers to God. And I will direct us a little bit in some of those prayers, but uh, I want to invite you to uh, perhaps stand if you're able where you are, but to offer a sentence or two of prayer, uh, words of thanksgiving, uh, offering intercession for the world, our nation, for the needs that are directly connected to us, other things that may come to your mind. Before we do that, please join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Merciful Savior, at your cross, we find the beginning of each of our stories, sinners in need of God's grace. We confess that in our pride we neglect your grace, and in our judgment we withhold your grace. Forgive us, Lord, for the relationships in which we focus on past sins instead of present redemption, in getting revenge instead of seeking forgiveness excluding rather than welcoming those who reflect your image, for worrying about gaining power rather than embracing humble vulnerability. By your strength, may we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view, but through the eyes of grace and redemption. Merciful Lord, forgive us for the walls we have built out of hate, the boundaries we have created out of differences, and the lines we have drawn out of fear. Empower us to live as ambassadors of light in the darkness of this world, and may we embrace the words that empower our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. Let's take just a moment of of silence to uh, center our thoughts on God and then um, invite you to offer your prayers. Father, we have so much for which to give thanks, to praise you. Hear now our words of praise and thanksgiving. Father, we know there are many needs in our nation, in the world. We think of your people, your church around the world. Hear now our prayers for this country and all of the countries of the world, people that you love.
We thank you for the churches in our county and beyond to serve you. And we pray for the Wellsville Full Gospel Church and Pastor Tanner. May your grace be upon them and as they worship and as they serve you in Wellsville and beyond. Father, there are many needs that we bring with us today. Needs in our own lives, needs for those who are close to us, people in this church, the wider community, issues of grief and illness, pain, relationships, the future. Lord, now hear our prayers for ourselves and for each other. Father, open our eyes to your daily grace. May we we see your desire to work in our lives and the lives of those close to us and in this whole world. We thank you that you are at work when we see it and when we don't, because you are faithful and good. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them. In the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross, the one who has ascended to be with you and is returning, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
New Testament scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, 15 to 21. Hear the word of the Lord. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. wondered why the cross is the primary symbol of our faith? Why not? Why not an empty tomb? I know that would be difficult to shape into jewelry, but it, it, you know, it, you wonder about that. It's an important part of our faith. You look around at these stained glass windows and you see a variety of symbols of our faith. Why not a crown? Why not a, a sword? Why not a dove? Why not the Bible? Why not a shepherd or a shepherd's staff? Or the Ten Commandments? Why the cross? It has been from virtually the beginning the primary symbol of the Christian faith. And it's a question that I've been asking myself over the last few weeks as we're thinking through these various passages during this Lenten season. Why the cross? And I think one of the reasons is that there is something about the cross that, that judges us. Now, we think about the cross judging us. I think probably your mind jumps to condemning us. We think of judgment always in the negative. But it isn't necessarily that. What I mean by judgment is, is standing before a judge and hearing a judge say guilty or not guilty, right or wrong, good or bad. In essence, that kind of judging is revealing what we're really about. And, and the cross has a way of, of, of slicing through all of the masks and all of the things in which we, we put up to protect ourselves, the walls we build, the ways we try to convince people around us that we are something different than maybe we are inside. And the cross has a way of cutting through all of that because you can't really live that kind of, of dual life and really encounter the cross. I sort of think of it like trying to find a good watermelon. You know, you've, you've probably been through that experience, and you get all kinds of theories. Uh, you know, the tapping theory, the listening theory, the, you know, rolling it around theory. What does the outside look like? I had someone after one of the services earlier today say, I can tell you 100% whether it's a, a good watermelon or not. And I said, well, let's go to the store, and you tell me, and we'll start cutting them open and see, you know, we'll... Lay them all over the store, but they, they didn't want to take that challenge. No, actually, they did. We can do it. We can go do that. But it's all supposition at some point until you take out a knife and you cut it open. And you can have theories and you can guess and you can be pretty close most of the time, but you never quite know until you cut it open. And there's something about the cross that cuts us open, it reveals What's really inside of us? What are our priorities, our motives? What are our passions, what are our desires? And sometimes the cross reveals something awesome. Sometimes the cross reveals something else. And as Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, one of the things he's addressing here in the third chapter is that there are people... That he says, when they come face to face with the cross, he calls them enemies of the cross. That's a pretty strong thing to say. He's not talking about people who are outside of the church, people who are going to the temples and worshiping other gods. He's not talking about people who have completely rejected Jesus and the faith. He's talking about people who are in the church. He says they're enemies of the cross. It's a frightening thing to think about. What is it that makes them enemies of the cross? It's the kind of thing that seems to be always the case in every church through the centuries. We go to one extreme or the other. In verses 2 to 11 of the third chapter of Philippians, Paul talks about people who are enamored with laws. 
And they were back to the whole thing, the battle that they had of you have to follow all the Jewish law before you can be a Christian. And, and there, were, there were people in the church who said yes. It was all about following the laws and they do everything right. And they are sending a message to the others in the church that unless you are legal, unless you are tied in to the legal rules, unless you're tied into all the rules of the Jewish faith, you can never be a Christian. And then you have on the other end, what he talks about in verse 19, people who, who are living for the sensual pleasures of life. And their perspective is exactly the opposite. There are no laws. There are no rules. I just do whatever I want to do, and I have the freedom to do whatever I decide to do. And both of them are rooted in an element of truth because Paul writes often about being set free in Christ and we're free from the bondage of the law. But Paul also writes about there are things that are right and wrong and good and bad and healthy and unhealthy. The problem is you get to either extreme and in either extreme, both of them are really rooted in the very same problem. It's the focus on me. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. Look how, look how holy I am. Look how, many, look how I can do all the things that I can do. Look at how I follow all the rules perfectly. And then you have the other side of it. Look at me because you don't tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want to. There are no rules. It's all about what I want to do. And the problem with both of them, what makes both of these perspectives enemies of the cross, is that the focus is on self instead of on Jesus. And it often breeds, well, I think it would almost always breed, arrogance. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how free I am. And it breeds a spirit that judges other people. Look at how well I follow the law. You must not be a Christian because you don't. Look at my freedom. I don't have to worry about anything. You must not be a Christian because you're still tied down to all that stuff. And I find that most of us, depending on how we were raised, tend to swing our pendulum one way or the other. Depending on our experiences, we swing the pendulum one way or the other. And Paul is saying the answer is not in either of those. It's in focusing on the cross. But you don't realize what, what you're doing, what you're saying. You don't realize that you're an enemy of the cross until you come face to face with the cross. And you realize what is happening there. And so that's why Paul says in verse 17, follow me. Sounds like a pretty audacious thing for Paul to say. Follow me. Do what I do. And Paul is not saying that because he's, because he's arrogant and he says, look, I finally arrived. I'm perfect. So do what I do. Now he's saying... The only thing I can offer you is how I've lived my life, and that is with a motivation to be willingly selfless. He's calling them to be willingly selfless. He's calling us to be willingly selfless. That's why he says, follow me. Do what I do. It's hard to be selfless. It's not our natural inclination to be selfless. It's not our natural inclination to to surrender to what the cross is calling us to be. Our natural inclination is to put ourselves in the middle. To make that our focus. I think what Paul is saying to us is when you embrace the cross, you're embracing all that Jesus does and teaches, which is really all that God does and teaches. And it's maybe perhaps best summarized in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount. If your focus is on self, then it makes absolutely no sense to believe that you're blessed, that blessing is connected to being poor in spirit and mourning for the sins of all the world and being meek and humble and forgiving, merciful, taking persecution. None of that makes any sense at all unless there is a cross focus to our lives. 
unless Jesus is at the focus of our lives. How do we have that kind of focus? How do we get to the place where we, our passion, our desires, resemble what we see in Paul's life who is striving to live what he sees in Jesus? I think, I think one of the things that's central is to acknowledge to acknowledge our sinfulness and our struggle with sin. I think the minute we think we've arrived, we're in the most amount of trouble anyone could ever be in. I think Paul would say, he'd rather have someone be an atheist than be someone who thinks they've arrived. Better to be an agnostic than to be someone who thinks they've arrived. Because Paul himself says, not that I've already obtained all this, not that I've already gotten there, not that I've, not that I've gotten to the place where I, I figured it all out. Because the minute we think that is the minute we are declaring, I don't need the cross anymore. I don't really need Jesus. I'm good. And that's the moment we are in the most peril. You may have been wondering why we read that passage from Deuteronomy 9. In fact, John leaned over to me and said, this is the passage you're supposed to read today? Yeah, this is it. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 the context of Deuteronomy is that this is, this is Moses reviewing all the things that God has done and said for the Israelites. Because now he's addressing all the, the people who left Egypt who were under the age of 20. Because everybody over the age of 20 died in the wilderness. That was, the, that was the, the, the consequences for them not trusting God and walking into the promised land. So the book of Deuteronomy is, is a review of all that God has done for people who were young when all these things took place and when the teaching was first given. And he's reviewing all of it. And so you get to chapter 9 and he's talking about things. And throughout Deuteronomy, one of the key words is remember. And you get here and he says, remember how rebellious you were with God. Remember all the ways that you rebelled against God. And it's not a very encouraging thing for Moses to say. I would expect him to say, remember how God brought you out of Egypt. And he does. And remember all the ways in which God cared for you while you wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And he does. But he also says, remember your rebellious spirit. Why would he say that? Because when we forget that, we start becoming pretty self-focused and arrogant and maybe even thinking we don't really need God all that much and it's exactly what happens to Israel it's exactly what happens to the church through the ages and it's always a temptation in our lives to think we've arrived John 13, Jesus meeting with his disciples in the upper room. He takes the night he's arrested and, and goes to the cross. And he, he takes a basin of water and a towel and he starts washing their feet. And he comes to Peter and Peter says, whoa, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, okay, but if I don't wash your feet, you have, no, you have no connection to me. You have no relationship with me. I think Jesus is saying to him, Peter, you're acting like your feet aren't dirty. Your feet are dirty. I think Paul is saying, we all walk around with dirty feet. And we need, we need the cleansing grace of Christ every single day, every moment. Now, as we, as we progress in our faith, do we get better? Do we become more like Christ? Yes, that's certainly the goal. But we don't become more like Christ because we feel like we've arrived. We become more like Christ because we realize how much we need Him every single moment. We never outgrow the cross. Never. I think that's one of the reasons why it has become the primary symbol of our faith. Because we never get past it. 
But it's not just about what we aren't doing. It's about a perspective of life that Paul describes here. And he says in verse 20 that people who embrace the cross are eagerly anticipating, expecting the reappearing of Jesus. He's talking about living with a perspective that is bigger than the moment. It's an eternal perspective of life. The problem with focusing on the past is that we can become so burdened down by all of the bad things that we've done and people have done and the world. And the problem with with being focused all the way in the, in the future is that we become fearful. But when our anticipation is on Christ, when our focus is on Christ and we think with an eternal perspective, it changes not just how we view what's to come, it changes about how we live now. We make different decisions because Jesus is reappearing. We think about things differently. We have different priorities. When, you, when you're eagerly expecting Christ to reappear as he's promised, then you, you treat people differently. You make different kinds of decisions, different priorities. You come to see that the way of the cross really is the way of life. As opposed to the temptation that the way of self is the way of life. And the problem with, with the people that Paul is, is concerned about here, that he's weeping over here, is that they are living with their eyes focused on nothing but this world. And every decision they make is rooted in self. But when your perspective is bigger, more eternal, it changes how we view how we live. Can't help it. Because we believe that God's kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven. What he's really saying is something that Richard John Newhouse says in his book, Death on a Friday Afternoon, that the church acknowledges now what everyone in existence is eventually going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. That the cross is the way of life. Which is what Paul says in the second chapter of Philippians, after he describes Jesus emptying himself and taking on the form and nature of a servant and, and, and surrendering himself even unto death, he says, So he will be as exalted to the highest place and given the name that's above every other name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day is coming when Jesus reappears that every, every being will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the call of the church is to live in such a way that we acknowledge that now. That when people slice into us, they see Jesus. They see our lives. They, they see what comes out of our lives to be giving glory to God and recognizing that Jesus is Lord. And that impacts our decisions. It impacts our relationships. It impacts how we think about the future. It impacts our finances. It impacts everything about our lives, every decision we make. Because we believe that the way of the cross is the way of life. For us, just as it is for Jesus. There is something living with that perspective. Something about living with that perspective that that if it gives us a different idea of what God is trying to do in our lives. Because we tend to think living focused on the cross is pain and difficulty and struggle. And often it is. But there's a reason for that. I read just recently a book by Ken Geyer called Shaped by the Cross. 
small book that that is actually a, a series of, of meditations that he wrote based on his study of Michelangelo's famous sculpture, Piate. This, this image of Mary holding the lifeless body of Jesus. It, when, you, when you look at the detail of this, it is fascinating to me that you could carve something like that. It reveals the amazing talent of this great artist. But there is something inspirational about it as well. And the book is fascinating in how, you know, he he talks about the different ideas that came to him. But one of the things he talks about is when when an artist like Michelangelo sees a a block of marble and and they think about what they're going to carve it to be, they get a vision of what the marble will look like when they're done. And the process is not so much carving it into that shape as it is chipping off all the things, all the parts of the marble that aren't in the image. And he says that's really what God is doing with us when our focus is on the cross. He is chipping away everything about us that isn't Jesus. And he says, if the stone had feelings, if the stone could speak, it would cry out, stop doing that. Because that hurts. It's painful. I don't like it. And if the, if the artist said, okay, fine, and just moved that block of marble aside and did something else, the block of marble would be so disappointed when the artist got done with everything else he or she did and looked and saw the beautiful things that were made and how this block of marble wouldn't let the artist do it. How disappointing. And he quotes a sculptor who says, he thinks of it this way. A stone just wants to be a stone. But an artist wants that stone to be art. And God wants us to be art. But the only way that we become these beautiful images that God has for us is if we allow Him to start chipping away the stuff in us that isn't Jesus. And the only way that will happen is if we live our lives with the focus on the cross, the focus on Jesus, day by day, moment by moment, acknowledging how much we need Him. And with the desire to want Him to make us what we might not be able to see, but He can. Something of amazing beauty that we could never really imagine. In a sense, it comes down to those, those famous words of C.S. Lewis. In the end, only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. focus of the cross has a lot to do with which of those statements our lives speak. Father, we thank you that you want to do more for with us than we could dream or imagine. Give us grace to let you, through the cross, shape us. We ask this through Jesus. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.